Welcome to the world of digital sound. Hey there, good people of the internet. Welcome, welcome. This is Ken. This is a Ken Burton podcast story, 1990s. And uh, we're coming to the end of these now. Uh, the, this is one of three that I've got left to do. Uh, and then I don't know whether or not I'm going to do any more after that or whether I'm going to change the subject. Um, there's some suggestions I could do, maybe a, a current affairs program, maybe um, different type of podcast, you know, talking about different subjects. Uh, the, the motor industry is my passion. I could talk about that all day long. Um, but uh, I don't know, the, the whole podcast story thing, is coming to an end. I've got three to do, and this is one of them. And um, really, I mean, a couple of things have happened uh, quite recently, and let me just clue you up on this. This is kind of for the faithful, really. Move the mic closer. Hello, Mike. There we, oh, let me monitor. Hold on. Um, a couple of things have happened recently. Uh, those who are following the show, the faithful, as we call ourselves and uh, the group of us that have been there since the beginning or have joined halfway or three quarters of the way through, listen to every single podcast, know the story backwards and, you know, and, and therefore know my life backwards. Um, the, those people will know that uh, over the past sort of six months, I've tried to make an attempt to get this story out there and in front of some form of publisher, whether or not that is uh, the written word, whether or not it's um, proper audio books, um, whether or not it's uh, in front of people that could make a TV series or make a film based on the idea. And uh, for six months, I've had the backing of some fantastic people uh, on Patreon who have financially assisted me with that. It's been very expensive. <laughs> the way you do this, um, you don't just go and send your shit to publishers and, and TV companies. You have to get a company to do it all for you. And it's not cheap. It just, it isn't cheap. So, uh, but I've spent six months doing it. I gave myself six months to try and achieve it. Haven't achieved it. Uh, it's got in front of what I believe are the right people who have rejected it for varying reasons. Now, some people give reasons, some people don't. Some of the reasons I've had are, um, yes, I see where you're coming from with regard to a TV show, but to make it we would have to recreate 1980s Coventry, which would be ridiculously expensive, either by doing it uh, on the streets or by doing it through CGI. It would be hellishly expensive. So had it have been set like three years ago, four years ago, maybe something could have been done. But because of that reason, it hasn't been done. Other other publishers came back and, and just, <laughs> one of them, he was just fucking disgusting. He wrote back um, and said, uh, uh, I understand the story. Uh, I've listened to many of the podcasts, uh, some of which I found entertaining, some of which bored me to death. Um, you know, and he was really no holes barred. He just fucking tore it apart. I think, well, you get TV shows like that, don't you? I mean, you get, even the, in The Sopranos, there were episodes, and that's the greatest show on earth, Sopranos, but there were episodes that were, were quiet, that were shit, that, you know, didn't really resonate with me because of different subjects. And, you know, it's one of those things. Not everyone can be a winner, you know? <laughs> now, I drink and I smoke during these podcasts, so just bear with me a sec. No, no. Mm. Ah. Oh, God, what is that? Fuck me. Jesus, I know we're in lockdown, but... Pear. Pear. Pear what? Oh, some sort of pear juice cordial shit. Oh, God, it's awful. Right. So, as I was saying, we, we've got it in front of all the people that we could get it in front of. And the last of the rejections has come through. Uh, and quite a lot just don't reply. 
And so that's it. I put a certain amount of money into this. Uh, it was <laughs> it was a lot of money. I won't tell you how much, but I could have bought myself a very nice second-hand car. <laughs> and in fact, I sold my car to fund it in the first place. So there you go. There's a little snippet of information you didn't know. Um, because I'm in the motor trade, I get access to a company car. So I was, But I sold my car to fund it. Uh, so there you go. We are done. We are dusted. There is no more Patreon. And uh, for those of you who uh, worked with me on Patreon, huge amount of thanks. Please get into Patreon and cancel your uh, subscriptions to my show. I've cancelled it my end. I want to make sure it cancels at your end. But the other big move we've made is to go from Podbean. Podbean um, costs money. Okay, Podbean is a hosting site for podcasts and they they make all sorts of promises when you join them. Right. Um, I don't really want to pay that anymore. Uh, I don't really want the podcast series to cost me any money anymore. So I've uh, dumped Podbean. I've moved my show over to Anchor. Now, um, there is a link in the description on the uh, on the YouTube version of this. But let me just tell you what it is, and I need to click into it. And um, one second, it is anchor.fm. So a n c h o r dot f for Freddie, m for mother, forward slash Ken hyphen Burton, b u r t o n. If you go onto there, it's a it's a terrific site. A, it's free, but B. Um, it gives you the links. So you can either listen to it directly on their site, you can listen on Spotify, you can listen on platforms I've never even heard of. Uh, Apple, yeah, you can get it on there, of course you can. Breaker, never heard of them. You can get it on Google Podcast now. Overcast, I've never heard of them. Pocketcast, Radio Republic. I'd, I'd never heard of any of these guys, but if you go over to Anchor, um, and you know, show the love on there, guys. Um, now, it's it's one of the moves that I've made. Um, so I've got rid of Podbean. Uh, Patreon is now gone, and I've got three more of these to do. And I've also put the trailer on there as well. Now, the trailer is basically there so that you know you can get the disclaimers, uh, which basically means that any all or parts of this podcast story are fictional unless stated otherwise all characters do not relate to anybody living or dead unless i say otherwise okay legal bit sorry um so we are we are dead in the water we're going to do three more podcasts i'm going to think about what i want to do in the future as far as podcasting is concerned i'd really love to do a blog but everybody's blogging everybody and their wife are blogging about everything. I mean, this COVID-19 stuff, I've never seen so many bloggers on Sky News, you know, um, from mum's net to <laughs> Pregnancy Weekly um, to Diabetics Anonymous <laughs> to <laughs> Pedophiles Incorporated. Everybody's on Sky News talking about COVID-19. I'm okay, by the way. Uh, family's okay. We're all self-isolating for the next three months. Right, end of. I'm not fucking going out. Tough. I <laughs> just, I and my family are not going to die from this. Uh, so, fuck it. We're all staying in. And we're doing okay. We're doing okay. Um, so, where we left the last podcast. Now, um, 10 minutes of waffle, we finally get into a podcast. So, where we left the last podcast was um <laughs> it was it was in a kind of weird place i if you listen to the last one you'll know that i i stuck my nose into somebody else's business again and uh paid the price for it lost another friend and i ended up back at my parents place very little money um, and I, I must admit, I'd, I'd managed to get a few quid put by, but I, I then started to gear up because somebody had told me about this place that I could go. Now, 
I'd seen pictures, I'd seen videos, and I didn't really believe it until he kind of showed it to me. But there is a little island, I won't tell you where this place is, but there is a little island and uh, the sun shines all day. And on one side of this island, there is a port that breaks the ships. And the way it works is this, you turn up at the gate and they give you a disc, okay? And it's got a number on that disc. You're told to report to somebody and you go and work for the day. Now you could be um, you could be using a cutter of some description if you've got welding experience or you wanna learn it. Uh, you could be using saws, you could be using grinders, you could be just shifting metal from one place to the other, driving a truck. You know, you can do all of these things within this breaking port. Uh, and then at the end of the day, you hand in your disc at a long table on the way out and they pay you money. Okay, here's the thing. They don't want to know your name. If you are no good at what you do, then whoever you, you're reporting to, they tell you to fuck off. Okay, and you go out and you get paid for the number of hours you've worked. And then <clears throat> uh, basically don't go there again because your face isn't wanted. All right. Uh, you don't need a national insurance number. You don't need an address. You don't give them your telephone number. It's completely fucking anonymous. Now, there are a lot of legitimate people that work at this place that are on proper payroll. And um, these guys, these guys basically are managers and uh, supervisors and trainers and all of these guys. But the workforce, the workforce is mainly scallies who want to disappear from the world. And that is the way to do it. There are places on this island, um, a number of places in particular, because a, 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 a town that's kind of on the coast is sort of semi-abandoned because it became an unpopular place to go on holiday. I think they were, they were gearing up, I think, maybe in the 70s, uh, early 80s, to make this place into a, another Benidorm, but they, it never came off. The town ran out of money, and they've got all of these apartments in there that no one uses because they don't get any tourists. Um, and you can rent a place there for pennies, you know, you can rent an apartment for pennies. There are a couple of bars, a couple of restaurants open for the people that go there. But it, it's like it's like a completely anonymous place. You you could be anyone you wanted. Now I had planned to go across there using a false name. When well, when I got there using a false name, uh, rent an apartment under a false name, go to work under a under a false name. Should one ever be required, and um, disappear I was going to disappear now what I was hoping for was maybe I could do a year out there and get my head straight because mentally at this point in my life I was fucked my head was oh shit I didn't know whether I was coming or going I I was being haunted by shit every time I closed my eyes every time I went to sleep at night I was seeing fucking gunshots, people trying to kill me. It was it was just the worst of the worst. So anyway, um, it's a week to go. I've got my car up for sale. Everything that I own is up for sale. And I'm getting ready. I'm gearing up to move out of my parents' place. And then something happened. I... I, I drank too much one night. I mean, I drank a lot. And I went to bed and stuck something on TV. And I couldn't sleep. <coughs> and it was starting... It was starting to become a problem in the early hours of the morning. So what I did was take a couple of sleeping pills. 
Now, unfortunately, I'd already taken a couple of sleeping pills and I took a couple more sleeping pills and I just needed to sleep. I just needed to not be in the real world for a few hours. I was mentally exhausted. And a couple of hours later, probably it was getting to five, six in the morning. It was starting to get light, still couldn't sleep. I'm watching shit on the TV, but I can't concentrate. It, it's the weirdest thing to describe. I mean, it is now, if you call it depression, anxiety, depression, you call it a lot of things. But every time I went to watch a program, then my mind would drift off. It would be uh, if the program had a guy in it that reminded me of somebody that I once knew, my mind would drift off. And I, I was I was semi-lucid at this point, but I do remember this. My mind would drift off to my experiences with that guy. I couldn't get the fact that um, one of the shows that I'd watched during this TV session that I'd had, he reminded me of somebody that I knew quite well and he'd been shot in front of me. And it was a headshot and it weren't very nice. Let me have a drink. Mm. Very dry today. So um, I took a couple more sleeping pills. Next thing I know, I wake up in hospital and you can picture the scene. My folks can't wake me up. I've got a bottle of pills next to the bed and an empty bottle. And they don't know how many was in the bottle. They've got no idea how many I took. So they hit three nines. Um, apparently, I was taken in, stomach pumped, blood checked, various other things. I woke up in the morning and I'm in a private room. Uh, and that's because the only reason they put me in a private room, so they told me afterwards, is because I'd spent half the night screaming and I was disturbing other patients. So they put me in a room, a nurse came in and she sat down next to the bed um, and she, she wasn't kind of behaving like a nurse, she was behaving like a carer, you know, um, she held my hand, are you okay, uh, don't worry we've got some people coming in, they're going to talk to you and I'll what the fucking hell are you guys talking about? Everybody thought I tried to kill myself. I actually hadn't. I genuinely, I'd have, I'd have told you if I was. I actually did not try that. I, I just had to sleep. About an hour later, doctor walks in with a couple of medical students. And he said, I hope you don't mind these are medical students. So uh, you don't mind them sitting in on this consultation. I thought, what? And he started off by telling me, so we're going to start at the point where you tried to kill yourself and then work back from there. And I was like, what? I didn't try and kill myself. And he turned to one of the students and he said, do you remember what we were talking about, about classic denial? I thought, fucking hell. Oh my God. Well, I put up with this guy for about three quarters of an hour and these students asking me questions. And um, it was uh, surreal. It was just surreal. Parents came in um, and usual bunch of grapes, didn't know what to say, didn't know how to act. And I, I guess, I mean, in later life, I actually I actually know somebody who killed themselves. So I, I know what it means. I know, I know 
that you don't know what to say, you don't know how to act, and you, because of that, you act differently. And because you're acting differently, that puts them on edge. And they, it's a, it's just a vicious fucking cycle. And it's difficult. It's difficult to to get to, to terms with. It's everyone around you is acting weird, and you just think. Especially, with, I mean, if I had tried to do it, I'd, I'd maybe understand it, but I didn't. And obviously my parents have been told, oh, he's in denial. And if he won't talk about it, we can't help him. Anyway, about six, seven o'clock that night, uh, I'm thinking I'm getting ready to be discharged. And uh, the consultant comes in. And he said that, I'm, I'm really sorry about this. But he said, we we want you to stay for another night. I said, why? He said, because um, we need you to open up. And without you opening up, uh, we really fear for your safety. And you're our responsibility now because you've been through the system. And I said, oh, for fuck's sake. And I said, well... I can just challenge myself. He said, but you, you could. He said, at which point I would request that your parents sign papers to get you committed. Fucking what? So, I lay on my pillow. Uh, nurse came in. They were coming in every 20 minutes, half an hour. Can't argue with the care. And the, they were trying to talk to me, um, especially at, the, at night. When it got to about 11 o'clock, two nurses came in um, and these were on a different shift to everyone I've met before. One of these nurses said that she was training to be a mental health nurse. And... Uh, she was quite fascinated because she she hadn't actually met anybody yet that was in denial. Um, and she said that, you know, it's, th there's so much to it. There's, there's so much of a psychological aspect to it. And it, it's a, it's a difficult thing. It's a long thing. And it's a process and you need to go through the process. Well, both of these nurses from Coventry, well, we sat chatting about everything except for mental health. We were talking about nightclubs we've been to, um, some of the people they knew, who also I knew, um, you know, what, what they did, uh, what they did to get into nursing, what their careers were and all. We, we were talking until two in the morning. <laughs> and then I went to sleep. And um, woke up the following morning, and I thought, well, look, I've got to do something here. So, psychologist came in uh, with another guy who was a psychiatrist, uh, and they got three or four medical students with them. So, in my little room, I was quite busy, and. Um, I sat and span him a story. Um, and <laughs> it was the only thing that I could do to get out of there. So I said, look, okay, in that moment, at that point, I just didn't want to be here anymore. In the cold light of day, when you haven't had a drink, it's a different story. And they all just went, ah, right, okay, now we understand, now this is classic, you know, the, right, okay, and they gave it some fancy names or whatever. And um, it, it was just quite weird. It was just, the whole thing was just quite weird. Well, um, they agreed to discharge me. Uh, I convinced them enough that I wasn't a lunatic uh, who was going to kill himself, and they let me go. And uh, my, my old man came down the hospital to pick me up. Went back to the house. Um, 
and they were talking to me about my plans to leave you know because they were still convinced that I tried to kill myself and uh, whether or not it was a good idea well I'm trying to persuade them I'm trying to talk them into look you know that this was an accident guys it was it was just an accident I just needed to sleep and I couldn't sleep and hence the reason why and uh, there was a knock at the door mum opened it and it was a guy that I knew fairly well about six seven years before and his mum worked with my mum. That's how we knew each other. And obviously those two have been talking and he came down to see me. And he's the only person that did, which shows you how many friends I've got left at that point. Uh, one, and I hadn't seen him for six years. And we chatted and we went for a drink. We had a good couple of beers. We talked about everything and anything except for what had happened. And we agreed the following day that we'd meet up and go and do something. Uh, and as it happens, we, we ended up going to a banger race uh, of all things. And we're having a couple of beers at this banger race. And then he told me he told me the story about uh, how when his girlfriend had left, he got depressed. He tried to kill himself. Uh, he actually tried to hang himself. I can't imagine. Oh, man. Can you imagine that? Oh, I just, I genuinely can't. I can't imagine anyone that could do that. Me, I want to go out in a ball of flames, not fucking rope around my neck. So, um... I didn't know what to say to him, to be honest. And I'm still gearing up for going off following week. I'd cancelled my ticket um, and I postponed it for a week, but I was still intending to go. He persuaded me that it would be a good idea to go and stay with him for a while uh, not wanting to be around all the tension that was going on in the house I I agreed to it and when I went round to his house moved my gear in he'd got one of these little new builds you know a broom cupboard with a fucking staircase basically and uh, He'd only got um, he'd only got one bedroom in this place, but the, the downstairs had got a like pull me out sofa bed thing, and I was on the sofa bed. We had a good few drinks, we had a good few laughs, and uh, maybe two or three days. And bear in mind that this had this had all happened within the space of a week. This guy knocking on the door to me being in his house for a couple of days that all happened within a week he had a few people come round every now and then one of which was his sister and then I realised after a little while why all the attention why he wanted me round there. His sister was living with a bloke who was hitting her. And I'm pretty convinced that my mate that I hadn't seen for six years only came to see me, only invited me to go and stay at his place because he had this problem and I had a reputation and he thought I might be able to do something about it 
We sat and talked one night when he explained it all to me. Uh, times that she'd come round to the house and she'd been beaten up or he got the call and she was in hospital. And um, he waited for me to offer, I think. He was talking a lot about it. And he hadn't mentioned it up until that point. And then he talked about nothing else. I didn't want to get involved. I'd, I'd just come out of sticking my nose into somebody else's business. I didn't want to do it again. And then one night, I must have been, I must have been staying at his place for maybe five days at this point. We got a knock on the door in the early hours and uh, it was his sister. And because I was in the front room, um, it was me that opened the door. Well, Jesus Christ, she had got, um, her nose was bleeding. Uh, she got a cut lip, obvious bruising to the side of her head. She was dazed, confused, um, we brought her in, we sat her down, we got her a drink. And me and him started to talk about how unacceptable this was. And I know what he wanted. He wanted me to kill the guy. He'd already had a number of run-ins with this bloke um, and came off worse for wear. Let's put it that way. And I think the, the whole idea of me dipping the country and then going anonymous and, and becoming a fucking ghost gave him the idea that I could um, I could kill this guy. And he offered me money to do it. Quite a lot of money. And he was telling me it's everything he had. Um, she tried to leave him twice. And he found her twice. And he fucked her up twice. That was uh, when he put her in hospital. I didn't know who this bloke was. I had no idea. But I didn't really see that I could possibly do anything about it unless unless I killed him. So a plan started to form in my little head. I could see the attraction I could see the merit of what he was trying to achieve. I could see the justification for it. And so I, um, I tried to get a gun. Uh, a couple of places that I knew, one in Birmingham, uh, one in Nottingham, because the, the guy in Coventry, the armourer, he wouldn't answer the door to me now. I was out the loop. Couldn't get sorted in Nottingham or Birmingham. And so, um, I thought about another plan. There wasn't anybody I could call on, you know? I mean, uh, something like this. This guy was rarely alone. He had friends around him most of the time. He had people at the house all the time. He had a guy living there, lodging with them. And by all accounts, these guys were fairly handy. I mean, looking at the work he he he'd done on my uh, my friend's sister, um, it wasn't so much of a case of he had, he had the strength physically. It was more that he had the will mentally. 
and he didn't seem to give a shit about who he hurt. Anyway, I, I parked outside their house. Um, she went back to him. She went back to him the following day. She was too afraid to, about what would happen if she didn't. I parked outside the house. Uh, I waited there eight, nine hours. Saw people go in, some, saw people come out. Saw him a couple of times. I uh, couldn't really fucking miss him. But he was a fuck sight bigger than I was. God. Rugby player. And so were his mates. Which was a bit of an issue. So, uh... <laughs> I thought the only way that I can get this guy is do it one by one and then make it look as though it was nothing to do with what he was doing to my mate's sister. So I decided that I was going to fuck up a couple of his mates first and then do him. Make it look as if, as a group, they'd pissed off somebody. First night, uh, I was walking down the street and one of his mates was walking down the street towards me and don't think in any sense of the word I'm proud of this I pulled out a rounder's bat from the back of my shirt uh, rounders bats I explained those in the last podcast but they're, they're basically a truncheon very hard wood truncheon and um, as this guy passed me in this quite quiet street I did him round the back of the head he went down like a ton of bricks I, um, I mean, he, he was semi-conscious, barely moving. I put the um, bat under his wrist as he was lying on the floor, stamped on his arm. I broke his arm. Got my bat, went back to the car. Nobody saw anything. Away I went. A couple of nights later, one guy that came out of his house, I followed him, and he went into a house three or four streets away. Kept an eye on that house, didn't see anybody going in now apart from him. And it was a rented, shitty house, pre-war, you know, Coventry. And I just went and knocked on his back door. Just went in through the back gate. Um, knocked on the back door. I got a mask on. Uh, which covered the bottom half of my face. And I got a black hat on. Black beanie. Pair of gloves. Black gear. He answered the door. Um, quite sort of curiously you know as in who the fucking hell is coming to my back door and I started laying into him I, I got um, four or five hits into him head shots uh, and he went down and um I was going to do the same to him, but I couldn't. I couldn't knock him out. Uh, he kept trying to get up, and every time he tried to get up, I either hit him with the bat or I kicked him. Um, he just wouldn't. He wouldn't fucking stay down. But we're in his kitchen, you know, and 
I punched the guy maybe four or five times in his face. But fuck me. I mean, these rugby players, they're tough. <laughs> I, could, I could not get this guy knocked out. So in the end, uh, I gave him... I couldn't break him. I, I didn't feel like it was possible to break a bone on this guy. So as he was trying to get up, he got on his knees and I absolutely kicked like a fucker into his bollocks. That would have caused damage. And then I left. Third guy. Um, and I think by this time they were getting a bit wary. But the third guy that came out of his house, he went into a house that was full of people. He drove there. He came out of... Uh, he came out of the guy's house, got into a car. I followed him. He stopped outside a house and went indoors. There were obviously people in there. And maybe it was wife, kids, family. Don't know. Uh, so I did the quarter window on his car. Chucked a load of lighter fluid in there and put a match to it. I wanted to make sure that this team of guys knew that it was them as opposed to him that I was after. And um, car went up like a, like a fucking bomb <laughs> inside of the car. Just, Jesus, I barely got back to my car by the time the fucking thing blew up windows blew out of this thing and I often wondered you know whether or not he had a, a fire extinguisher or something in the car something that blew up um, a can of lighter fluid or, or or lighter gas or something never seen a car blow up like that before without the tank blowing because it wasn't the tank that went the interior of the car went and all the windows blew out but the flames were massive. Got back in my car and I drove off. I left it for two or three days. And uh, we got word back from my mate's sister that this bloke was shitting himself. They'd obviously pissed somebody off. And they were being taken out one by one. They're trying to work out who it is. You know, they're, they're asking a lot of questions. They're roughing people up, trying to work out who's taking this crew out. And then came his turn. I wasn't going to take him on my own. Uh, two reasons. A, he was built like a brick shit house. B, he was fucking ready for it. Three of his mates had been done in the space of a week. He knew he was coming. He knew it was coming. So I had a box clever. So I popped down to uh, a particular car park, <laughs> which I will mention no names. Uh, left my car there and stole a Range Rover. Range Rovers are so fucking easy to steal back then. Man, they were just... You could get into them with a screwdriver. You could start the ignition with a screwdriver. They were shit, security-wise, considering what they were. I parked outside his place. I was probably there three hours, and he came out and got in his car... Uh, well, he took off towards uh, Nuneaton and uh, between Coventry and Nuneaton on this particular road, it's quite quiet and there are ditches either side.
I was maybe two cars behind him. Um, and then after a little while on this road, one of the cars between me and him pulled off. So I put my foot down and we're both doing about 60 miles an hour, probably me about 65, 70. And um, as I overtook him, I slammed into his car. The car went sideways and back again and sideways and back again smashed into my car a couple of times and then he he steadied and realized what was going on put his foot down so um, I put my foot down my huge engine in the Ranger Range Rover was a lot fucking faster than his piece of shit and I, I smashed into the back of him maybe twice. Uh, he still managed to correct. So I pulled up alongside him again. And this time, drove him completely off the road. Car went into the ditch. And I saw it in the mirror. The, the car overturned end to end twice ended up on, on its roof in the ditch. I pulled off, went back to uh, where I'd got the car from, uh, got into my car and went. I hate to think what the owner of that fucking car thought, exactly where he'd left it, and when he got back to it, it was fucked. Went back to see my mate and um, I told him job done. I was pretty convinced dad killed him. Pretty convinced. Pretty ashamed of myself that I followed through. But the following day, he's kind of all happy and smiles. And his sister comes round after he called her to see how she was. And she explained that he'd been in some horrendous car accident and a couple of his mates were beat up and one of them was in hospital and he was in hospital uh, and he's on a ventilator. And it, there was a, a kind of sense of relief for a little while that I hadn't killed this guy. But my mate, he wasn't happy at all. He was all sort of, you know, you've got to try again. You've got to try again. He's not. He's still around. You've got to try again. I couldn't I could I, I just couldn't get where he was coming from the guy was in hospital on a ventilator is he got um crushed chest he he got broken bones he got serious concussion that induced a fucking coma in the bloke for Christ's sake And I, I said to him, anything else that happens now is, is for you, mate. Just give me my money. And there he was with the, I'll pay you when the job's done. And I said to him, that's the only reason you got me round, isn't it? That's the only reason you fucking came to see me. Because you wanted me to deal with this problem.
and he he told me he admitted it and he said he couldn't think of any other way and i can understand that i i can understand you know rock in a hard place you want to defend your family and it's not as if this twat didn't deserve it she wasn't doing anything that warranted getting her ass kicked he was the most controlling fucker the stories she told us I mean, but on one occasion, on one occasion, she 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 told us this story about all his mates being there, him being pissed, and they were getting ready for a holiday, and she'd bought some new clothes, and she he made her go and change into a bikini, and then strut in front of these guys. I mean, for fuck's sake. I just, I, I just hate blokes like that, even now. So, um, we had an argument about the money. Uh, I ended up having to threaten him. Told him that, you know, the reason why you brought me into this is because you know what I'm capable of. And you can either pay me or find out firsthand what I'm capable of. At which point you paid me. Now, it occurred to me that he might grasp me up at some point. So, I made a couple more threats told him that anybody come looking for me I'll be looking for him took my shit got in my car and left I found out later that the guy the guy survived he had got a number of injuries she took advantage of the situation and left him uh, moved out and um she went to stay with relatives out of town so that he couldn't find her. I don't know about his mates. Uh, I've got no idea. But I'd reached this, this kind of plateau. I'd reached the I'd reached the end of it. I mean, it, it, is this all I was? Is this what I've become now? Some fucking gun for hire? Had I been able to get a hold of a gun, I'd have killed him. And that would have solved everybody's problems. And it's looking for him, really, that I didn't manage to find one. I got the money that my ex-mate gave me. I went uh, into the car with my gear and thought, where now? And I just got in the car and drove. I weren't going home. I weren't going back to my parents' place. I couldn't, just couldn't, not again. It was only a week until I was going to fuck off anyway. So I thought I'd go and lose myself down in the smoke. And I went down to London. I thought a couple of days down there, I was flying out from Heathrow anyway. A couple of days down there, sell my car. And... Uh, that was it. I'd be off to my island in the sun. But the events of that week haunted me. And for quite a while after, Couldn't close my eyes without seeing it. 
dreamt about waking up in a ditch. I dreamt about drowning a lot. Whole thing was just bizarre and weird, and it's it's not something that a normal human being can can really comprehend. When um, following day, I found myself down in London. First thing I did was find a used car seller and go down there and flog the car. I was able to do that quite easily. Uh, found myself a um, B and B, uh, and checked in. I was ready to leave everything, absolutely everything. The world, I was ready to leave the world behind and go and find a new life. It's, it's funny, you know, when I eventually got in front of a psychiatrist long time after that, and he asked me about uh, some of the dreams that I'd had, and I told him, um, that bit, some of that story. And he was asking me about emotionally how I felt when, when this was going on. And he said, um, if I was to diagnose you now, I'd say that you had psychopathic tendencies. And that word just stayed with me. Psychopath. Apparently, a lot of people have psychopathic tendencies. They have the ability to commit acts without feeling emotion, and that is psychopathic. Some people are full-time psychopaths. They're the dangerous fuckers. Some people are part-time psychopaths and only react in certain situations. But he also taught me about post-traumatic stress. And he gave me some interesting ideas about how to deal with it. Probably a lot of the, a lot of the guys that came back from Iraq and Iran, having been there purely to kill people, um, and watch their mates get blown up, they would have undergone similar similar advice and similar training. But some of the techniques he told me work quite well. He wanted to put me on drugs. I didn't want to take drugs. Um, he wanted to put me on antipsychotics, antidepressants, uh, all sorts of things. I wasn't going down that road. Just wasn't. So I found a bar just around the corner from the B&B and spent the next few days drinking myself into a fucking stupor. Meeting people, but not meeting people. Being anonymous. I even started using my different name just to try it out. And it's funny, when you try and use a different name, it's it's weird because um, you forget. And if you say, for instance, you've called yourself John Smith and somebody over the other end of the bar is going, John, John, you don't respond to it because it's not your fucking name. It's really weird. It's really weird. Next couple of days... Drank too much. Stuffed the odds. White powder up my nose. Kept out of trouble. Slept all day. Drank all night. 
ended up going to, I met some people and ended up going to a few people's houses, ended up on sofas and on floors and I woke up in a bath once. And I was somebody completely different. And that was the start of changing who I was. I don't think the rugby players ever found out why they've been targeted. And I hope to God it fucking stays that way. We got two more to go after this, guys. And the next story will cover my time in London. But as ever, I will see you on the dark side. Thanks ever so much for listening. This has been Ken. This has been a Ken Burton podcast story. 1990s. And you know what I'm going to say next, don't you? I'll see you all on the dark side. Take care of yourselves. Welcome to the world of digital sound. Shutting down all systems.